0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome
1: back to <clears throat> Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Walter. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 8 of Gift of Tongues, pages 64 through 72. The title of the chapter is called Prophecy. The reader portion of the program will be about 22 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. I tell you guys how long the reader portion of the program is so that you can skip over it if you'd like. But we'll uh, be going into the reading and commentary portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889. 8827 that's 917-889-8827 and the phone lines will be open while the recording is going on for um, off air questions only and then we'll open up the live phone lines after the reading and commentary portion of the program let's get into the reader portion of the program first which i said is about 22 minutes long thank you for listening
0: prophecy chapter eight of gift of tongues pages 64 to 72 the prophet joseph smith said the gift of tongues was for comfort and instruction but not the channel or the means by which doctrine for the church was established however a great deal of prophecy has often accompanied this gift Prophecy can be the means of giving comfort and instruction. Therefore, for this reason prophecy has often been manifest through the gift of tongues. On the first acquaintance of Joseph Smith with Brigham Young, the gift of tongues was manifest. Brigham Young spoke in tongues, and the prophet received the interpretation. With Elder Kimball and Joseph Young, Brigham Young visited Kirtland, Ohio, in the fall of 1832 and for the first time in life saw and became acquainted with the Prophet Joseph Smith. In the evening of the day they first met, the Prophet called upon Brother Brigham to pray. While praying he spoke in tongues. The Prophet received the interpretation and said it was the pure language spoken by Adam in the Garden of Eden. After Brigham had left the room, Joseph Smith uttered a prophecy. The time will come when Brother Brigham will preside over this church. An unusual prophecy in tongues was interpreted by a lame elder who received comfort and encouragement through that gift. After the meeting was opened, Sister Moore arose and began to speak in tongues. She addressed her remarks to me, and I understood her as well as though she had spoken the English language. She said, Your leg will be healed and you will go on a foreign mission and preach the gospel in foreign lands no harm shall befall you and you shall return safely having great joy in your labors this was the substance of the prophecy it was so different from my own belief and the fears of many others that i was tempted not to give the interpretation lest it should fail to come to pass the spirit however, impressed me and I arose, leaning upon my crutches, and gave the interpretation. Not long afterwards I was told in the dream what to do to strengthen my fractured limb, and it began to receive strength immediately, and in the short space of about one week I dispensed with my crutches and walked with a cane. A year later brother Tyler went to serve a mission in Switzerland. and the influence of the Spirit of God will often burst forth into prophecy and tongues. Thomas Steed, as many others have, felt his inadequacy of this power. Jan, 1841. I met with the saints at 10 a.m. at Jonathan Lucy's home in Colwell. There were two rooms full. When the presiding elder, my uncle William Steed, was preaching with much power, He stopped all at once saying, the Spirit has left me, and rests upon someone in the room. Will they please get up? If they will, we will have one of the greatest manifestations of the power of God that we ever had in this branch. The Spirit said to me, it is you, get up. But I hesitated as I was a very bashful boy. I thought, what can I say? the elders stood pleading, Will they please get up? All at once a power put me on my feet, the spirit of prophecy rested upon me and I foretold the gathering of the saints of that branch with the body of the church and in no view, ill. And many things that the Lord was about to do in this land of England to gather up the honest in heart and the judgments that would follow the testimony of the elders. When I thought I could sit down, I could not and suddenly the gift of tongues rested upon me. Then interpretation was given by Joseph Williams, said Aunt Sarah. Then I spoke again two or three times and the house was filled with the spirit and power of God and dash, my whole system, felled like fire shut up in my bones. Two ladies had the gift of tongues in association with a most unusual occurrence. They made a prophecy in tongues concerning the future of the J. Grant. Testimony of Prophecy through the Gift of Tongues. When I less than H.J.G. greater than was a child, in a Relief Society meeting, Eliza Snow, by the Gift of Tongues, and Zinadi Young, by the interpretation thereof, promised that child playing on the floor and dash in the home where Grandma Whitney, my mother, Eliza, no, then young, Clara Kimball and other leading Relief Society sisters in early days were meeting in Dash that that child should grow to manhood and become an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. My mother often said to me, "The, behave yourself, and you will someday be one of the apostles in the church. I always laughed at her and said, Get it out of your head. Every mother thinks her son will be the President of the United States or something wonderful. I have no ambitions in that regard. When I was called to be one of the apostles, she asked me if I remembered that meeting in the home of the late William C. Stains on the corner of South Temple and 5th East. I told her I did. Do you remember anything that was said? I replied, no well she said do you remember aunt eliza talking to you on the floor i said yes but i did not understand it of course you did not because she spoke the gift of tongues then she said do you remember anything that aunt Zina said yes i do mother I remember that she lifted her hand and said that I would become a great big man. So when I became tall I used to think of it occasionally that Aunt Zima said I would be a big man. My mother responded, she said nothing of the kind. She said you would be a great big man in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that you would be an apostle. That is why I have told you, knowing that the gift of tongues was in the Church. I wish to say to you that my wife, who is dead, promised me, by the gift of tongues, that I should live to proclaim the gospel in many lands and in many climes. And after she passed away, and at that time when eight doctors out of night said I had to die, I had not then proclaimed this gospel in many lands and in many climes. But I recovered, and since then I have lifted up my voice in the far-off land of Japan, in the Hawaiian Islands, in England, Ireland. Scotland, Wales, Germany, France, Belgium, Poland, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Canada, and Mexico, bearing witness that I know that God lives, that I know that Jesus is the Christ, that I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet of the true and the living God, and that every gift, every grace, every power that this man says should be in the true church of Christ, is in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have the Pearl of Great Price, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another old prophecy concerning the end of Babylon was given over a hundred years ago. April 1st was fast day. My wife, Jane, and I went to fast meeting. At the meeting the gift of tongues was used wherein the Lord said that when the destroyer should leave the realms above upon his work to lay waste to the earth, it will be communicated and made known to him that stands at the head of the church. A special blessing pronounced by the gift of tongues through patriarchism was literally fulfilled upon Hiram G. Grant. Well... On the first Sunday of January, 1900, that would be the first Sunday of this century, there was a priesthood meeting held in Farmington in the Davis Stake. John M. Hess was the president of the stake at that time. Now at this priesthood meeting on a Sunday morning, all six patriarchs of the stake were present there. John W. Taylor spoke at this meeting, and he said, I want to address a few words to these who hold the office of Patriarch. I want to tell them that the Lord is displeased with the way they are discharging the high calling of their offices. He went on to say, You have become as rusty clocks. You must repent and get the spirit of your calling, as the Lord is displeased with your attitude. Well, that was quite a chastisement. After the meeting these men, the Patriarchs, state presidency and others had dinner at Aunt Nellie's home. After the dinner, all these brethren were sitting around the room in a sort of social gathering. Uncle John and Aunt Nellie were sitting at the south end of the room. The man by the name of John hennison who gave me my first patriarchal blessing when I was eleven years old, was sitting on the west side of the room and Hiram G. Grant, a brother to J, Grant, and who at that time was serving as a counselor to President Hess of the Davis stake, was sitting on the east side of the room. They had a very remarkable meeting. I suppose all of these patriarchs spoke, and they all expressed their feelings, and how very just they felt the rebuke had been and dash how much they wanted to repent and do as the Lord wanted them to do. John Hinnison, Patriarch got up and walked across the room and put his hands on the head of Hiram G. Grant and gave him a blessing, speaking in tongues. And when the blessing was concluded, he resumed his seat. And there was a moment or two of silence in the room, and then John W. Taylor nudged Aunt Nellie with his elbow and said, Nellie, you have the interpretation. She whispered back and said, Yes. I know John but I'm just frightened to death and he said you stand on your feet and as soon as you start to speak that fear will leave you so she stood up and she said I can't remember all that she told me brother Grant has received a very remarkable blessing the Lord has told him that he had a work for him to do in dash is called to do in dash and that if he would live true and faithful to the gospel, that the Lord would preserve him and he would be able to fulfill this calling that was for him. She said that the evil one would seek to destroy him and that his protection would come about by living the principles of the gospel. I don't remember any other points more than that. Than that. Some years later, after they had established a colony in Canada, John W. Taylor had taken Aunt Nellie up there, and he took at least two of his wives down to Mexico. I was living in West Bountiful in the same ward where Hiram G. Grant lived at that time. He had a very serious sickness in Dash in those days it was called yellow jaundice. His body turned almost completely black. And I remember going down there and saw that they had scattered straw for about a quarter of a mile on the dirt road in front of his house so that the wagons would make less noise going back and forth. He was very dangerously ill. Finally the sickness reached a point where they thought that it would be impossible for him to recover. So the family sent wires out to such members as were absent. One of his brothers, Frank Grant was up in Canada. He received the wire and had to ride a considerable distance to take the train. He thought, well, I'll ride around by Aunt Nellie's and see if she has any word to send down to the folks in Utah. So he went by her place and when he spoke to her, she said, yes, Frank, I do have something. I want you to go to your mother as soon as you arrive and tell her that your son is not going to die, but to remember the blessing that was given to him on this occasion as mentioned. So he went to the old home, and when he arrived, all the family were there, including J. Grant, who later became president, the wives, and the doctor. Frank stepped up behind his mother and put his arms around her and said, Mother, I have a message for you from Aunt Nellie. She said to tell you that your son is not going to die, but to remember the blessing that he was given on the occasion mentioned. About this time, the doctor who had been kneeling at the head of the bed, arose and he thought Hiram G. had expired. He got up to turn to the mother and wives that were there, but as he looked back on Hiram G. Rand, he noticed just a little flicker of his eyelid. So he knew from that, that the spirit had not left his body. President Grant was conscious of that. This comes from the notes of Franco Testram, who was a long-time secretary to President Grant. He had to correct me on this part of the story, because I had it wrong. But it was President Grant who said let's administer to him, which they did and from that very low spark of life, the doctor had actually thought the spirit had left, he returned and dash he regained his health and strength. And as a boy, I lived there and knew him as the stake president. So he fulfilled that mission that was given to him by patriarchal listen in tongues and interpreted by Nellie E. Taylor. Another prophecy delivered in tongues at the home of Joseph Lee Robinson, as a most unique and detailed account of the mission and work of the Latter-day Saints. Part of the prophecy has taken place. The rest of the prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. We will now mention one exhortation of prophecy given in tongues one Sunday evening in my house. Brother Archibald Patton gave us a very lengthy and spirited lecture in tongues. Ed Benson wished someone to give the interpretation. Brother Patton said, Brother Robinson could give it, if he will. I immediately rose to my feet and commenced by saying, The saints should continue their labors in building the temple of God in that place to completion so far that they could receive their endowments in the same, and after the Lord should remove the Saints West out from these United States into a woodly land among the Lamanites in the midst of the Rocky Mountains, and that they should preach the gospel to the house of Joseph, and that many of them would be baptized, and that the elders should go to the nations of the earth, and preach the gospel to the house of Joseph, and that many of them would be baptized, and that the elders should go to the nations of the earth, and preach the gospel to them, and gather out many of the honest in heart, and gather them out that the work of the Lord should be preached with mighty power, and that he would establish his saints, and increase them on, bless them abundantly, and that he would raise a mighty army of the Lamanites, and that they should come forth in the mountains, and that they should fall upon the Gentiles with mighty power, and that a trembling and fear should fall upon these Gentiles, that they should have no power to resist them, that as well might the puny arm of man be raised to stop the mighty northwest wind for the gentiles to stop this mighty army and at that time which i was seeing these words i could see them coming over the hills across the rivers west of view. they looked terrible as a dark cloud they i said should avenge the blood of the prophets that was shed in carthage jail and that governor ford would not execute one man as governor Ford at this time with an armed force was in pursuit of these murderers saying he would bring them to justice but that this army of Lamanites should avenge the blood of the prophets, yea that they should make a clean job of it. This is only a synopsis of the prophecy, but it gives some of the particular parts of the prophecy. We consider it a very interesting prophecy that would be literally fulfilled. As the Spirit of God is given to man, he may seek to receive the gifts which accompany it. The gift of prophecy is one of the greatest of all the gifts of God, and it often attends the gift of tongues. Thus, when the gift of tongues is made manifest, and prophecy is made through that medium, the people may be assured that the prophecy will be fulfilled. Chapter 9 Testimonials Faith has been wanting, not only among the heathen, but in professed Christendom also, so that tongues, healings, prophecy, and prophets and apostles, and all the gifts and blessings have been warning. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, P.
1: 270. Okay, <clears throat> that was a little preview for the next chapter right there at the end. All right, let's get into the reading and commentary point. I stopped the recording, Kim. I'm about to drive past the house, and my and my church. No way! Everybody can be like, "Hi." Yeah, you better run outside. I'm like,
2: I'm right by our neighbor's out. house. I gotta do. I gotta do reading. Well, you gotta tell say the kids. <laughs> Guy, well, they can hear you. I put you on speakerphone. Oh, we're in the. What do you mean in the front room? Area is. Arius Right space now. Face in the couch. I know. I'm in the front room. I can see ya. Hi. <laughs>
1: you.
2: Hi. Hi. Anyway.
1: So, so I'm headed and down to Subco tonight. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I recorded like I recorded like 48 uh, percent this morning. Uh-huh. Uh like The listening audience, you already know, Kim. Anyway, but I was like falling asleep. And then I started rambling on about a bunch of stuff for like 20 minutes. And and then I fell asleep after that. So Kim is going to read today so we don't have to listen to me rambling and, and reading while I'm falling asleep because, yeah, not, not great. Anyway, so uh, Kim's going to be reading tonight, and uh, we're on pages 62 through... 71 or seventy sixty four 64 through 72.
2: What are we doing, Kevin? Oh, I thought I was reading the other book. So I guess I'm reading in The Ensign to the Nations.
1: <laughs> yeah, because we just got done listening to that. Have you been listening to that? I recorded yes, that this morning. Yes, but I morning. thought I was going
2: to be able to read the one that I wanted to read, but I guess not. Okay, um, so
1: we read the we we'll read the chapter in the Gift of Tongues first, and then you can read that other one. But even though Lila is opening at seven, my boss told me to go get one out of Safco and then take it to Savage. So in about an hour, by seven thirty, seven forty-five. I will be running up the Quichapa Road up to Sco to get loaded with my first load, so uh so I probably won't be able to be on until eight
2: so, okay.
1: um, but you can, can you, you tell can...
2: me again what page we're on because i I now have the right book, but I don't have it bookmarked
1: uh we're pages oh, sixty four to seventy two right? Yeah, it's chapter okay. eight, Gift of Tongues. It's called
2: Prophecy. Pages sixty
1: four
2: to seventy two. Yeah, in this one it's six hundred page six hundred and four. Hold on, I'm just getting into it. Well you have Insights
1: of the Nations volume yeah, one. Yeah,
2: right? that's life. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I don't know what page it is in that because I'm not reading out of the Enzyme to the Nation. So for the listening audience. (laughs) That's okay. um, Ogden had a dream that God showed him a massive book with all of Ogden's books in it. And uh, Kevin, his son, wants to get or wants to create that book, but that would be a huge... I mean, oh my gosh, the thing would be like $500, $600 or more. Yeah. Like, and it would just be massive. So what he did was he separated, uh, like, I don't know, 10 books per volume or something like that and just made these volumes that are really actually, you know, there's a lot, but there's seven volumes and they're really hard to get. They're really hard to get. Uh, they're... You know, because everybody scoops them up as soon as he uh, prints them, and Kevin has a printing press, so he runs a printing press and print shop, uh, whatever down in Santa Santaquin, Utah, called Pioneer Press. So he prints them off, but he print, he can only do one book at a time. You know, so he's got other books that he's printing too uh, that people have asked him to print, and then. His wife runs a publishing company, so she does the edits and stuff, and then she, you know, does that. So, anyway, so um, a couple of years ago, they decided to do this, uh, instead of doing nice leather-bound hardbacks, uh, they did um, missionary editions, and then they did volumes one through seven in paperback. And I think he was selling them for, like, $25 $25 a piece, and that's just that's how much they cost to make them. So he's not trying to get, you know, rich off of them, but he wants the information to get out there. But the leather-bound ones, which are the ones that we have, well, we have both. We have the soft cover and the leather-bound. Um, they're like 100 bucks, yeah, If you can even get them. Like, it's really hard to get them. So anyway... I need to pay attention to what I'm doing right now because I'm driving through a town. So That's anyway.
2: Okay. Um, well, I can go ahead and read if you want. I am I did find it, um, but I just thought you were talking. So.
1: Well, I was talking and I was just letting people yeah. know all the things. So all mm-hmm. right, well, I'll mute myself and then we can just, you know, I will unmute myself if I have anything to say and then you'll hear my uh, road noise you know okay how it works
2: i've got the two girls in the background talking Skype. oh by the way
1: the chat room is (laughs) open for anybody who has questions or comments and i have a friend uh from ethiopia that was trying to get me to call him and Mm -hmm. i told him he can call me and so if you are listening if anybody's listening overseas out of out of the united states if you use skype dial uh Country code 11, and then uh, area code is 917, and then the phone number is 8898827. Uh, so that would be country code uh, 11, then 9178898827. And if you if you use Skype to call in, then that's just the best way people have to call from out of the country. And uh, even if you do call from in the country, you can use that method, you know. But I think most people can just call, you know, the area code is uh, New York, and it's a Manhattan number. I just run out of Manhattan, New York, New York. So anyway, um, so the guest, like I said, the guest call-in is open, and the chat room is open at this time. So go ahead, Kim.
2: Okay, uh, we're going to be reading Chapter 8, Prophecy, and in, Ensign in to the Nations. It's page 620 in this volume number one, and um, it is also Chapter 8 in The Gift of Tongues on page 64. <clears throat> the Prophet Joseph Smith said the gift of tongues was for comfort and instruction, but not the channel or the means by which doctrine for the ch- church was established. However, a great deal of prophecy has been often accompanied this gift. Prophecy can be the means of giving comfort and instruction. Therefore, for this reason, prophecy has often been manifest through the gift of tongues. On the first acquaintance of Joseph Smith with Brigham Young, the gift of tongues was manifest. Brigham Young spoke in tongues, and the prophet received the interpretation. This is from LDS. Uh, biography uh, or biographical encyclopedia by Jensen page or I'm sorry chapter 1 verse 9 or maybe it's volume 1 page 9 yeah I'm not sure because it doesn't say it just says LDS bio N and Jensen 1 uh, 9 okay it's volume
1: 1 page 9
2: Okay, thanks for telling me. Uh. Quote, (laughs) with Elder Kimball and Joseph Young, Brigham Young visited Kirtland, Ohio in the fall of 1832. And for the first time in life, Thon became acquainted with the prophet Joseph Smith. In the evening of the day they first met, the prophet called upon Brother Brigham to pray. While praying, he spoke in tongues the prophet received the interpretation and said it was the pure language spoken by Adam in the Garden of Eden. After Brigham had left the room, Joseph Smith uttered the prophecy, the time will come when Brother Brigham will preside over this church. End quote. From LDS Biographical Encyclopedia, Jensen, Volume 1, page 9. An unusual prophecy in tongues was interpreted by a lame elder who received comfort and encouragement through that gift this next quote is from daniel tyler scraps of biography page 41 quote after the meeting was open sister Moore rose and began to speak in tongues she addressed her remarks to me and i understood her as well as though She had spoken the English language. She said, your leg will be healed and you will go on a foreign mission and preach the gospel in foreign lands. No harm shall befall you and you shall return safely, having great joy in your labors. This was the substance of the prophecy. It was so different from my own belief and the fears of many others that I was tempted not to give the interpretations, lest it should fail to come to pass. The spirit, however, impressed me, and I arose, leaning upon my crutches and gave the interpretation. Not long afterwards, I was told in a dream what to do to strengthen my fractured limb, and it began to receive strength immediately. And in the short space of about one week, I dispensed with my crutches and walked with a cane. End quote from Daniel Tyler Scraps of Biography, page 41. A year later, Brother Tyler went to serve a mission in Switzerland. The power and influence of the Spirit of God will often burst forth into prophecy in tongues. Thomas Steed, as many others, have felt his inadequacy at this power. This next quote, these quotes are extremely long, by the way, from this chapter, I suppose. This next quote is from Life of Thomas Steed, pages 5 and 6, quote, January 1841, I met with the saints at 10 a.m. at Jonathan Lucy's home in Colwall. There were two rooms full. When the presiding elder, my uncle William Steed, was preaching with much power, he stopped all at once, saying, The Spirit has left me and rests upon someone in the room. Will they please get up? If they will, we will have one of the greatest manifestations of the power of God that we have ever had in this branch. The Spirit said to me, It is you. Get up. But I hesitated as I was a very bashful boy. I thought, what can I say? The elder stood pleading, will they please get up? All at once, a power put me on my feet. The spirit of prophecy rested upon me, and I foretold the gathering of the saints of that branch with the body of the church then in Nau- Nauvoo, Illinois. And many things that the Lord was about to do, England... "'to gather up the honest in heart and the judgments "'that would follow the testimony of the elders. "'When I thought I could sit down, I could not. "'And suddenly the gift of tongues rested upon me. "'Then the interpretation was given by Joseph Williams,' said Aunt Sarah. "'Then I spoke again two or three times, "'and the house was filled with the spirit and power of God. "'My whole system felt like fire shut up in my bones.'" End quote from Life of Thomas Steed, pages 5 through 6. Two ladies had the gift of tongues in association with a most unusual occurrence. They made a prophecy in tongues concerning the future of Heber J. Grant. Um, this next very long quote comes from Heber J. Grant, Conference Report, April 1927, pages 17 and 18. <clears throat> Quote, when I, Heber J. Grant, was a child in a Relief Society meeting, Eliza R. Snow, by the gift of tongues, and Zina D. Young, by the interpretation thereof, promised that child playing on the floor in the home where Grandma Whitney, my mother, Eliza R. Snow, Zina D. Young, Clara Kimball, and other leading Relief Society sisters in early days were meeting, that the child should grow to manhood and become an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. My mother often said to me, Heber, behave yourself, and you will someday be one of the apostles in the church. I always laughed at her and said, get it out of your head. Every mother thinks her son will, will be the president of the United States or some, something wonderful. <clears throat> I have no ambitions in that regard. When I was called to be one of the apostles, she asked me if I remembered that meeting in the home of the late William C. Staines on the corner of the South Temple in Fifth East. I told her I did. Do you remember anything that was said? I replied, no. Well, she said, do you remember Aunt Eliza talking to you on the floor? I said, yes, but I don't did not understand it. Of course you did not, because she spoke the gift of tongues. Then she said, do you remember anything that Aunt Zena said? Yes, I do remember that she lifted her hand and said that I would become a great big man. <clears throat> so when I became tall... I used to think of it occasionally, that Aunt Zena said, I would be a big man. My mother responded, she said, nothing of the kind. She said, you would be a great big man in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that you would be an apostle. That is why I have told you, knowing that the gift of tongues was in the church. I wish to say to you that my wife, who is dead, promised me, by the gift of tongues, that I should live, in pro- live to proclaim the gospel in many lands and in many climes. And after she passed away, and at a time when eight doctors out of nine said I had to die, I had not then proclaimed this gospel in many lands and in many climes, <clears throat> but I recovered and since then, I have lifted up my voice in the far-off land of Japan, in the Hawaiian Islands, in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Germany, France, Belgium, Holland, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, or Denmark, Canada, and Mexico, bearing witness that I know that God lives, that I know that Jesus is the Christ, that I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet of the true and living God, and that every gift, every grace, every power that his <clears throat> that this man says should be in the true Church of Christ is in the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. We have the Pearl of Great Price, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. From Heber J. Grant, Conference Report, April 1927, pages 17 through 18. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
1: Uh, it's just interesting that yep. even during the days of Joseph Smith, Uh, I mean, not Joseph Smith, Heber J. Grant, that they had the gift of tongues that was operating in the church. Now, Heber J. Grant didn't change the method of conferral of the priesthood to not conferring to priesthood, but only ordaining to offices in 1921. So they still had the priesthood at that point, but what the listening audience may or may not know is that from 1921 to 1957, under the direction of Heber J. Grant, who was the seventh president of the church, they did not confer priesthood. They only ordained offices. After he died, George, George Albert Smith, he continued on with Heber J. Grant and what he had done, But by the time David O. McKay, who was the ninth president of the church, came along, He changed the method to conferring priesthood and then ordaining the office, which is correct. Before Heber J. Grant became president of the church, Joseph F. Smith, who was the sixth president of the church, was approached by Heber J. Grant and Charles Penrose, who were in the apostleship of the Twelve at the time. And they suggested to Joseph F. Smith that we should not be conferring priesthood but only ordaining to offices because the the people who had priesthood had the same kind of authority as the Twelve in the presidency, and they shouldn't have it. Anyway, Joseph F. Smith told them, if you come to me with this again, I will excommunicate you both from the church. So they didn't. But as soon as Heber J. Grant came along, he decided he was going to do what he wanted to do. And Now, the problem with Heber J. Grant is that he, at the end of his life, said that the heavens were as brass to him, and he lamented that he had never received a revelation from God. Well, he had done a bunch of things not by revelation, which did damage to the church, including not conferring priesthood. Which means that, like, if you go back, even when I was in, the, like, when I first converted, it was uh, Gordon B. Hinckley was uh, was the uh, the president of the church. Well, David B. Haight was older than Gordon B. Hinckley, and he probably would have received correct, proper priesthood conferral before the change, but Gordon B. Hinckley wouldn't have. Because by the time he got the Melchizedek priesthood, they had gone from conferring priesthood to not conferring priesthood. So it's entirely possible that the entire uh, First Presidency of the Church today and the Quorum of the Twelve have absolutely no priesthood. David O. McKay wanted to go back and to reconfer everybody, and rebaptize everybody and do all of the temple work that had been done between 1921 to 1957. But they had to have a unanimous decision in the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve for them to do that. And he got a lot of pushback. Because, you know, the president of the church can never lead the church astray, according to Wilford Woodruff. That's not doctrine. You know, but anyway, so they didn't fix it. So a lot of people out there don't even have priesthood. If people were being obedient to the instructions of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve after 1921, they would not have conferred priesthood, only ordained offices. So this whole thing with Heber J. Grant making the Word of Wisdom into a commandment, he did that to gain popularity with the world, and it is not given by way of commandment. In fact, it says that in the Revelation for... for, uh, the word of wisdom. This is not given by way of commandment, but is a word of wisdom. So that whole thing is can be thrown out because he, Jay Grant did it by his own authority, not because he did it, because God told him to. And then he also entangled the church uh, with the uh, Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Morgan Stanley, the uh, Wells Fargo. Uh, Chase Manhattan Banks which are all run by um, the Bilderberg Group which is the uh, basically the Congress of the of the Illuminati and the One World Government and they tied the church up into that and they tried, tied a bunch of the properties of the church up into that and they're still tied into it um, I can't remember who it was but there was a president of the church maybe it was Spencer Kimball, who paid off all of the loans that Heber J. Grant took out uh, and tried to get out of the entanglement with the United uh, not the United Order, the One World Order, and uh, they were threatened that if they tried to do that again, that they would lose their 501c3 status. Oh, and by the way, Heber J. Grant entangled the church in the 501c3 status as well. And he's the one that created the corporation of the first presidency. Um, he did a lot of bad things. And Brigham Young actually prophesied that the seventh, by the seventh president of the church, that leader, that prophet or whatever, the president of the church, would lead the church down to hell. Which is uh, tying the church to Babylon in a way that it cannot be easily undone. So... Um, the only other thing I'll say about that is that the church with all of its massive wealth, like, for instance, the Enzyme Pink account that had $129 billion in it, they can, they could fight the federal government for all the unconstitutional things that the federal government has done to entangle the church in its snare, but they won't do it. Or they haven't done it, and they're not going to do it, probably. Because, you know, all is well in Zion, they don't want to create a controversy and repent and turn back to the way things should be. So, anyway, I thought you probably would want me to address those things, because Kim knows. We've gone over it, we've read the documents, you know, we've seen the the documents and those type of things that, like, tell us all of this stuff. So, anyway, did you have anything that you wanted to say about Eber?
2: No, I didn't have anything to say. I just thought that you might
1: <clears throat> want to unload or unleash my words. <laughs> what? Well, okay. Well, get back. In, well, getting back into the the gift of tongues, it's interesting. So, the, there was still priesthood in the church back then, and it was evident that God was still giving people the gift of tongues, even back in the 1920s. But then you look around the church today and nobody speaks in tongues. It doesn't happen anymore. You know, and that ought to be... um, Oh,
2: I was thinking when I was reading those is that this is like an account of somebody saying that something happened several years before to make it seem like what he's doing was meant to be or grandiose or whatever. And it kind of reminds me of like present day apostles of the church and stuff that they tell these grand stories and you don't actually know if any of them are accurate or true because there's, like, he's the one talking about himself. Somebody told well, me once. we know. Go
1: ahead. Sorry.
2: You know what I mean? Like, somebody told me once that this happened when they, you know, when here, they I saw hand. me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So when I was reading, and actually all of the quotes when I was reading this, I was thinking the same thing. It's always, like, stopping and thinking, is this just me being critical, or is this, like, what I'm being told?
1: (laughs) Well, we we know that Brigham Young also added a bunch of stuff that didn't happen, and I really doubt that Joseph Smith said that, or prophesied that Brigham Young would lead the church someday. I mean, we know that the church was rejected in Nauvoo, according to Section 124 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So, but I know that God did have his presence among them in part, you know, but they were rejected from receiving the fullness of the priesthood. And part of that rejection was that the church would be cursed to the third and fourth generation, which was 120 to 160 years. You know, so, um, you know, it's just interesting, and we're going to read it. But, like, as far as what you're talking about, the modern-day leaders, Mm hmm there have been several lies told from General Conference and other venues where they've just lied. Like the instance where Russell M. Nelson talked about the horrible plane crash that he was almost in, you know, where the engine blew up and there was fire all over the fuselage and all of this and that. Well, that, had, that would have had to have been uh, reported to the N- NTSB, um, which is a federal agency, that you know a private or it was a commercial plane, you know run by the predecessors of Skywest. Like they gave the report and they they had uh, some engine sputtering on one of the twin engines on the airplane, and so they they decided to make a precautionary landing in Delta Municipal Airport. Well. Russell M. Nelson talked about how they had to set it down in a field and how they had to go into this dive to put the flames out and, like, all this stuff, but none of that ever happened. So they were caught in that lie, and they don't apologize or recant. They just push and push and push. So the leaders are the members of the church. They'll take it as a faith-confirming story, and it's a little lie, and it can be proven that it's a lie. You know, that's just one of many instances that, uh, that the leaders of the church have told stories. Like, for instance, there was that story about, like, they were in the ship, and it was in a really massive, like, hurricane or something, and the guy ran out onto the deck of the ship to see if the screws were still turning with the screws of the propellers. And there's no way you could even see the screws on that particular kind of ship from the deck. You you couldn't even see it from anywhere on the ship. And why would they run out to see that if they knew that the engine was still turning? They can check that kind of stuff from the engine room. You know, and just the stories that they tell, like they try to be faith-promoting and show these miracles, and they're just lies, and they can be proven to be lies. So the same thing that was happening, or that is happening today in the church, was happening back then in Heber J. Grant's day. And all the way back to Brigham Young. Brigham Young lied about things. A lot of things. So did Heber J. Grant. And the leaders of the church lie about things today. And it's all about faith-promoting. But when you find out the truth, then what probably happens is that people hear these things, and then they've had so much faith in the church, and then the leaders of the church, that they turn away from God because... Well, if they're lying about that, and I was deceived about that, and I was deceived about the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, and maybe I'm deceived about Jesus. And these individuals in the church who have had a confirmation of the Spirit about many of the truths of the restored gospel and the reality of the prophet Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, they'll turn away from it, and they will reject the Holy Ghost and the witness of the Holy Ghost that they have been given, making them into sons of perdition. It's horrible. The thing that they do is wicked as all hell. And they just run around and lift themselves up as men of God, and they lie. And you know what? Liars, you can't lie for the Lord. That isn't a thing. You can be condemned by God for lying, uh, to, to, you know, for faith-promoting stories. But when you deceive people to gain a following, that is, that is wicked beyond all hell. And they need to repent for that and turn it back to the first works and admit that they were rejected as a church, which the Doctrine and Covenants talks about, you know. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. I'm going to mute myself.
2: Okay. Continuing on with the reading. Another old prophecy concerning the end of Babylon was given over 100 years ago. In history of the life of Oliver B. Huntington, volume two, page one forty five. Can you still hear me okay? I'm just making sure. Yeah, I can um, hear you fine. Okay, just making sure. Uh quote April first was fast day. My wife, Jane, and I went to fasting meet or fast meeting. At the meeting, the gift of tongues was used wherein the Lord said that when the destroyer should leave the realms above upon his work to lay waste the earth, to lay waste the earth, I don't know, that's what it says, to lay waste the earth, it will be communicated and made known to him that stands at the head of the church. End quote. From History of the Life of Oliver B. Huntington, volume 2, page 145. A special blessing pronounced by the gift of tongues through Patriarch Tennyson was literally fulfilled upon Hiram G. Grant in a, oh my goodness, this is an extremely long quote, um, from Douglas Todd Jr. interview, November 1969. Okay, Sunday of January 1900. That would be the first Sunday of this century. There was a priesthood meeting held in Farmington in the Davis Stake. John M. Hess was the president of the stake at that time. Now, at this priesthood meeting on a Sunday morning, all six patriarchs of the stake were present there. John W. Taylor spoke at this meeting, and he said, I want to address a few words to these six brethren who hold the office of patriarch. I want to tell them that the Lord is displeased with the way they are discharging the high calling of their offices. He went on to say, you have become as rusty clocks. You must repent and get the spirit of your calling as the Lord has dis- is displeased with your attitude. Well, that was quite the chastisement. After the meeting, these men, the patriarch, stake presidency, and others had dinner at Aunt Nellie's home. After the dinner, all these brethren were sitting around the room in a sort of social gathering. Uncle John and Aunt Nellie were sitting at the south end of the uh, room A man by the name of John Hennison, who gave me my first patriarchal blessing when I was 11 years old, was sitting on the west side of the room. And Hiram G. Grant, a brother to Heber J. Grant, and who at the time was serving as a counselor to the President Hess of the Davis Stake, was sitting on the east side of the room. They had a very remarkable meeting. I suppose all of these patriarchs spoke and they all expressed their feelings and how very just they felt the rebuke had been how much they wanted to repent and do as the Lord wanted them to do. John Hennison, patriarch, got up and walked across the room and put his hands on the head of Hiram G. Grant and gave him a blessing, speaking in tongues. And when the blessing was concluded, he resumed his seat. And there was a moment or two of silence in the room. And then John W. Taylor nudged on Nellie with his elbow and said, Nellie, you have the interpretation. She whispered back and said, yes, I know. John, but I am just frightened to death, and he said, you stand on your feet, and as soon as you start to speak, that fear will leave you, so she stood up, and she said, I can't remember all that she she told me. Brother Grant has received a very remarkable blessing. The Lord has told him that he had a work for him to do, that he is called to do, and that if he would live true and faithful to the gospel, that the Lord would preserve him, and he would be able to fulfill his calling That was for him. She said that the evil one would seek to destroy him and that his protection would come about by living the principles of the gospel. I don't remember any other points more than that. Some years later, after they had established a colony in Canada, John W. Taylor had taken Aunt Nellie up there, and he took at least two of his wives down to Mexico. I was living in West Bountiful in the same ward where Hiram G. Grant lived at the time, he had a very serious sickness. In those days, it was called yellow jaundice. His body turned almost completely black, and I remember going down there and saw that off for about a quarter mile on the dirt road in front of his house so that the wagons would make less noise going back and forth. He was very dangerously ill. Finally, the sickness reached a point where they thought that it would be impossible for him to recover, so the family sent wires out to such members as were absent. One of his brothers, Frank Grant, was up in Canada. He received a wire and had to ride a considerable distance to take the train. He thought, well, I'll ride around by Aunt Nellie's and see if she has any word to send down to the folks in Utah. So he went by her place, and when he spoke to her, she said, yes, Frank, I do have something. I want you to go to your mother as soon as you arrive and tell her that her son is not going to die but to remember the blessing that was given to him on this occasion as mentioned. So he went to the old home, and when he arrived, all the family were there, including Heber J. Grant, who later became president, the wives, and the doctor. Frank stepped up behind his mother and put his arms around her and said, Mother, I have a message for you from Aunt Nellie. She said to tell you that your son is not going to die, but to remember the blessing that he was given on the occasions mentioned. About this time, the doctor, who had been kneeling at the head of the bed, arose, and he thought Hiram G. Grant had expired. He got up to turn to another, to mother and wives that were there. But as he looked back on Hiram G. Grant, he noticed just a little flicker of his eyelid. So he knew from that that the spirit had not left his body. President Grant was conscious of that. This comes from the notes of Frank Odestrom, who was a longtime secretary of President Grant. He had to correct me on this part of the story because I had it wrong. But it was President Grant who said, let's administer to him, which they did. And from that very low spark of life, the doctor had actually thought the spirit had left. He returned, he regained his health and strength. And as a boy, I lived there and knew him as the state president. So he fulfilled that mission that was given to him by Patriarch Edison in tongues and interpreted by Nellie E. Taylor. End quote from Douglas Todd Jr.'s interview, November 1969. That was a long quote. Another prophecy, yep. deliverance. Yep, yes. yep.
1: yep. Um, okay, so the first talk that was given uh, in 1900 was over 100 years ago. So yeah. you said it was this century. It was actually last century. I know well, we were born in that century. In yeah. Yeah, and when this was written, that was true. But now yeah. it is not. So I just wanted Oh, the other thing, too, that one where um, the guy says my first patriarchal blessing when I was seven.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that was, that that was pretty early said. to get it. Well, yeah, like you can get to more than one, than one
1: patriarchal blessing. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple. You've had, what, two? I've had two, you know. So that was a thing that used to be a thing, and now it's not anymore because they only do one. And you're usually, it's right before you go on your mission or when you're, like, in your late teens, mid to late teens. But back in the day, they used to give them multiple patriarchal blessings. And I kind of think they probably still should, but anyway... (laughs) was just one of the many changes within the church, just that I pointed out. Anyway, okay, I'll unmute myself. I'm actually in Emory right now, so I probably only have another 25 minutes max. Not even that.
2: Okay, I'm reading it fast. (laughs) Another (laughs) prophecy delivered in tongues at the home of Joseph Lee Robinson has a most unique and detailed account of the mission and work of the Latter-day Saints. Part of the prof- prophecy has taken place. The rest of the prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. This um, prophecy, uh, next quote, comes from Joseph Lee Robinson's journal, pages 17 through 18. Quote, We will now mention one exhortation of prophecy given in tongues on Sunday evening in my house. Brother... Archibald Patty gave us a very lengthy and spirited lecture in tongues. E.T. Benson wished someone to give the interpretation. Brother Patton said, Brother Robinson could give it if he will. I immediately rose to my feet and commenced by saying, the saints should continue their labors in building the temple of God in that place to completion so far that they could receive their endowments in the same and after the Lord should remove the saints west out from these, these United States into a goodly land among the Lamanites in the midst of the Rocky Mountains, and they that should preach the gospel to the house of Joseph, and that many of them would be baptized, and that the elders should go to the nations of the earth and preach the gospel to the house of Joseph, and that many of them would be baptized, and that the elders should go, to the nations of the earth, and preach the gospel to them, and gather out many of the honest in heart, and gather them out, that the work of the Lord should be preached with mighty power, and that he would establish his saints and increase them, them abundantly, and that he would raise a mighty arm of the Lamanites, and that they should come forth in the mountains, and that they should fall upon the Gentiles. ...with mighty power, and that a trembling and fear should fall upon these Gentiles, that they should have no power to resist them, that as well might the puny arm of man be raised to stop the mighty northwest winds. As for the Gentiles to stop this mighty army, and that time which I was saying, these words, I could see them coming over the hills across the rivers west of Nauvoo... They look terrible as a dark cloud. They, I said, should avenge the blood of the prophet that was shed in Carthage jail and that Governor Ford would not execute one man as Governor Ford at this time with an armed force was in pursuit of these murderers saying he would bring them to justice, but that his army of Lamanites should avenge the blood of the prophets. Yea, that they should make a clean job of it. This is only a synopsis of the prophecy, but it gives some of the particular parts of the prophecy. We consider it a very interesting prophecy that we would be literally fulfilled, or that that would be literally fulfilled. End quote from Joseph Lee Robinson's Journal, pages 17 through 18. And the last of this chapter, as the spirit of God is given to man, he may expect to receive the gifts which accompany it. The gift of prophecy is one of the greatest of all the gifts of God, and it often attends the gift of tongues. Thus, when the gift of tongues is made manifest and prophecy is made through that medium, the people may be assured that the prophecy will be fulfilled. And next time we'll be reading Chapter 9, Testimonial, on page 73. Did you have anything that you wanted to add to that?
1: Um, Just that, you know the church doesn't have, like, if I were to stand up as a member of the church and speak in tongues and prophesy, they would consider it a disruption of the meeting, and I would be hauled before the stake president and excommunicated. You're not allowed to prophesy. So I told my stake president in Vermont back in 2012 about some of my experiences And he grew red in the face and told me that nobody can have those kind of experiences except for the prophet of the church and that I was a bold-faced liar, you know. So, you know, and I've heard other people who have said things and they've gotten reprimanded or disfellowshipped or excommunicated because they were in apostasy because they got a prophecy or a revelation and it didn't come through the correct channels of the church. But these guys who are in the leadership of the church, they don't get prophecy. They don't get revelation. They haven't had a best day at the Lord Revelation in over 130, 40 years. If those ones are even a thing, you know? So, you know, they don't talk about their dreams that they, you know, that are inspired anymore. and Like, they're just, they're dead. And in Matthew chapter 24, it talks about in the last days that the eagles would gather around the carcass. And I was reading that with my aunt one day, and we both, I said, I just got a revelation about that. And she said, so did I. And she said, what was yours? And I said, the spirit told me that the carcass was the church in apostasy in the last days and that the eagles were the elect for trying to feast off of the remains of the church. The meat of the gospel that the church once had, and that was the same—the same thing that the Spirit told her. You know that that Jesus Christ was talking about the dead church in the last days, and we know in Doctrine and Covenants section 85, Jesus said, "I will have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order," which implies it would be out of order in the last days, and that in. Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah saw a vision of the one mighty and strong going among the drunkards of Ephraim. And he would, uh, and it talks about the priest and the prophet being out of the way and that that the one mighty and strong would have to go among they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast to uh, teach them and set the house of God in order. You know, and... It's sad. I just, you know, the church, they, well, even Nephi, you know, he said uh, that in the last days the the church would say all is well in Zion, you know, and we need no more prophecy, we need no more Bible, you know, and that's kind of where they're at right now. And it wasn't about the Gentiles. Well, it was about the Gentiles and the church. So. I don't know, it's a sad state of affairs, and we need to waken up to what's going on so that we can repent from what's been going on and turn back to the first works of the Restoration. All right, I just turned on the Klitschapah. I'm going to be out of service. Uh, If you want, you can (laughs) read that other chapter that you are going to read to begin with.
2: Oh, let me go in. I didn't see how long it is. Um, Actually muting a lot because i'm actually having problems with my asthma right now it's because of doing the hay so yeah. i keep coughing and i'm trying to not but it doesn't make it okay. any better so i know you can hear me kind of clearing my throat but my throat is clear it's my lungs that are having a problem so it i don't know if you can tell that i'm kind of breathing heavy and i'm not even doing anything so it just i'm
1: actually I've been having that same problem. Okay. Yeah, it's just from well, the... Well, that's
2: fine. Born from the hay.
1: <laughs> we can shut <laughs> it out short today. That's fine. Nobody's called in, so they probably won't. So, you know, I tell people okay, that and we then start this will be reading Chapter
2: six. 9 tomorrow. Can we do that? Or no? Do no. uh, you want me to just Yeah, that... Okay. And you got to wrap it up quick because
1: I'm almost out of
2: service. Okay. I just was going to say we could uh, we could actually just um, do a video or something of me reading the rest of this, too, so we could use it at a, as a later date since I will be home for this week. But anyways, yep, we can wrap it up. Okay. All right, well,
1: thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for reading, and I will call you when I come back down the, the mountain. And uh, Emma, go ahead and cue the music. Thank okay. you.